Hello everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King Cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I will review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. If you tuned in last week, you'll know that I reviewed 1982's The Gunslinger, the first in a seven-part epic that spanned decades of publishing, served as a spine around which King rested the body of his work, has inspired music and art from fans which can be found with a quick Google search, launched comic books, and has been a long gestating movie-slash-television show from Ron Howard for years. This week, rather than moving on to the next book in the order of publication, I want to remain in this world a little longer, under the shadow of the tower, and examine how the gunslinger fits into the greater series. Casual fans, please note that here there be spoilers. If you're listening, seriously, I'm going to get into heavy spoilers here. If you have only read The Gunslinger and want to read the remaining novels, please turn back now. I know that hearing what I have to say is alluring to you, as the draw of the Dark Tower is to Roland himself, but I beg of you, turn back. The remaining portion of this episode is dedicated to placing the first book into greater context of the entire series, so be warned because I will give away the ending to the Dark Tower. And just so everyone knows, um, I'm only going to refer to what King has written of these characters and not what Peter David and Robin Firth have contributed um, in the Marvel comics that have come afterwards. Now, this isn't to take anything away from the comic books, um, and I actually might review them later on down the, the line in a bonus episode, but for all intents and purposes right now, I'm just sticking with King. So, um... The novel was originally published in 1982, and in 2003, it was re-released um, with additional uh, material um, in order to make things a little bit more consistent across the board, and also laid the groundwork for what King would be doing for the, the final three novels, The Wolves of the Kala, Song of Susanna, and Book 7, The Dark Tower. So what I want to do, um, I just want to read the changes that were made in the 2003 edition because last week I reviewed the 1982 edition having it uh, have been the, the, the first time the Gunslinger had been released. Um, so I, I didn't, I just felt that it was more important to read what King had written of that time knowing that I would actually get into the spoiler specific parts um in an episode like this so um i'm going to read the a summary of the changes made in the 2003 edition from wikipedia so king revised the gunslinger in 2003 in his introduction to the new edition king stated that he felt that the original version was dry and difficult for new readers to access he also made the storytelling more linear as well as making the plot of the book more consistent with the series ending other changes were made in order to resolve continuity errors introduced by later volumes. The added material was over 9,000 words, which is 35 pages in length. So some changes include the following. Removal of a reference to Roland reading a magazine in Tull. Later information presented in The Drawing of the Three suggested that paper is a scarcity in Roland's world. Reference to 12 years having passed since the fall of Gilead, which happened when Roland was a teenager. This is changed to untold years. Otherwise, it would be deduced that Roland is in his 30s when later books imply that Roland is ancient. Likewise, the man in black originally says that he is nearly immortal, where in the revision he says this of both himself and Roland. Roland didn't know where Court was is changed to Court was dead. 
as the fall of Gilead was not completely fleshed out until later books. Roland's cold-hearted killing of Ali is changed to make him appear more humane. Originally, when the town of Tall turn on Roland, Ali is seized by a townsperson and used as a human shield. She begs Roland not to fire before he ruthlessly guns both down her and her captor. In the revised version, she has been driven mad by Walter by the time she is seized and begs Roland to put her out of her misery. The town of Farson is changed to Tall. I don't think that's right. Maybe the town of Farson is changed to Tall. Regardless, the town of Farson is changed um, and John Farson becomes a character in the later books in the series. References to the Beast were changed to refer to the Crimson King, who otherwise is not mentioned in the series until the Wastelands. And I want to say that he isn't first introduced, mentioned in the series until um, Wizard and Glass. So fans, if, if you know the definitive answer to that, please, please let me know. Blue Haven and Al Ghul Siento, terms that are revealed in the final books, are mentioned here. A single Tahin appears early in the revised version. The Tahin are a race of creatures, which wouldn't originally appear until the final three books. Jake Chambers, originally nine years old, was made ten to eleven years old in the revised edition. In general, the world the gunslinger walked through in the original text was a rundown version of our own. The text mentions England, the star Polaris, Mars, Jesus, and other biblical figures, Easter, All Saints, Eve, which is Halloween, and Greek and Egyptian gods. In the revision, these references were removed to make Roland's world only vaguely like our own. In the early edition, Roland's father is Roland the Elder, but is changed to Stephen. In the expanded edition of the novel, on the last page before the text, the single word resumption appears. In the argument foreword of Wolves of Zakala, King explains that this is the subtitle of the novel. So those are some of the changes. There's a there's a big um, section that I pulled out of this that I'm going to get into um, in a lot more detail later on. But the first thing that I want to talk about more than anything else, um, I want to talk about 19. And I want to talk about the sinking feeling I got as soon as I read the 2003 re-release. So again, please turn back if you haven't read the entire series. So as you know, when Stephen King re-released this in 2003, he included a, an introduction that um, I believe it's called The Power of 19, The Importance of 19. And 19 is a magical number that King plays with in the final three installments of the saga. Um, and he includes it here in the 2003 re-release. So as I said, he introduces it during his introduction to the Gunslinger um, and immediately explains how hobbits were big when he was the age 19. So immediately connecting his own work to Tolkien. And right from the get-go of this introduction, he's beginning to personalize his fiction. And this is really important because as he approaches the end of his decades-long adventure... To me, it's, it's no wonder that he looked back to its beginning, and considering that Ka is a wheel, he folds the beginning, in this case 19, into the narrative. The significance of the number is that 19 was his age when he began writing the Dark Tower series, and is the equivalent of King dipping his toes into the waters of his franchise before diving in headfirst in the final three installments. So what that means, ladies and gentlemen, and again, I hope that the only ones listening right now are... Fans that have read from start to finish, and that there's no one here that hasn't gotten um, towards the end. 
But I'm going to go for it now. I'm just going to talk about a big, big plot point that occurs um, in the final three books, and that's Stephen King. Stephen King inserts himself into the narrative as a character. And furthermore, he changes the character's quest from finding the tower to saving Stephen King. Now, this is not something that any of us knew was going to happen when The Gunslinger was re-released in 2003. However, there was enough in the re-release for me to start to realize that something like this was going to happen. Something in that introduction stood out to me during my first reading of the re-release in 2003. And I'll admit, it's one that caused me the slightest pangs of worry. Having dedicated pages to the power of being 19, he refers to the passing of time and then explains how the power of 19 couldn't save him from getting hit by a van. He then goes on to state that he needed to finish the book so Roland can save the tower. I'm going to say that again. He needed to finish this series so Roland could save the tower. He doesn't say he had to finish it for himself. He didn't say he needed to finish it for the fans. He relays an anecdote of a fan who, upon hearing of King's accident, states that the tower is falling. He mythologizes himself here, and I believed he used the three remaining novels as a form of therapy to help him through the most difficult time of his life. In the foreword to Night Shift, King explained that um, horror novels are designed for the reader to work through difficult subject matter. I believe that King took that concept one step further as a way to cope with a near-death experience. A chance encounter almost took his life. Thankfully, thankfully it didn't. And I have no doubt in the many hours of recovery he pondered the meaningless nature of the event. But what if a writer, who had for years written a tale about the nature of a decaying reality, began to pose a what-if question? What if what happened to him wasn't meaningless? What if he was meant to be hit by that van? So my concern at that time, which was just a seed, um, because this is before I, I read Wolves of the Kala and Song of Susanna and The Dark Tower, in which he just is a character in the books. Um, the only thing that I, I had I, 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 I was taking away at this point was him talking about 19. And so keep in mind, it was just like I said, it was just a seed and it would start to grow roots with the new material presented in the re-release. This concern was... A fear that in some way, King would point out the fictitious nature of these stories and somehow include himself as a byproduct of that near-death experience. And my fears uh, were realized um, when Nort hands Allie a note from Walter, who is now named earlier in the text rather than revealed at the end. Um, and by giving the note to Nort to give to Allie, it's almost as if he knows to pass it along because he's read this book before. That was what I was thinking when I, I sat down to read the, the re-release. Something about it, it just warning, warning uh, alarms were going off. The note itself is all about 19, okay? And that would be meaningless if the reader hadn't read the introduction to the re-release. The fact that understanding the significance of this number you know, required the reader to read an author's foreword in which he describes what this age meant to him on a very personal level, hints at the forthcoming metatextual quality the remaining books are going to take. Furthermore, the, the note says that the truth behind 19 will drive you mad. Of course it will! That you were simply a creation of a writer who began writing his story at the age of 19 will do that to you. 
So I, once we get to the remaining books, especially book seven, The Dark Tower, I'm going to talk a lot about Stephen King, including himself. And I just, I, I really want to stress that I, I hope I don't come across as, as callous here because I, I did reference the, the van accident. Um, and if this was Stephen King's way of pulling himself out of any sort of depression or allowing him to make sense of an awful thing that shattered him physically um, and spiritually, then, then who am I to judge? Um, but I'll be honest... I, I waited for years for the conclusion of The Dark Tower, and I'll, I'd be a liar if I didn't say that I was disappointed that so much of it was spent on the characters saving Stephen King from the van, um, and how much of it was spent with Stephen King himself. I believe that writers can include themselves into their works if the time is right. You know, Vonnegut did it a lot, and it works for Vonnegut, uh, comic book writer Grant Morrison did it famously in the pages of Animal Man, and it works in that case. I'm not convinced it works here. I think it's a brave storytelling decision. I think that his writing weaves in and out of his own life, and he puts so much of himself in the page and always has in, in, the, in the reviews that I've done so far. You know, he put himself, he took all the anger that he had as being a young father and channeled into Jack Torrance. He took his substance abuse problems, you know, and, and put it on the, the shoulders of Father Callahan and Jack Torrance. And um, so, so much of Stephen King is wrapped up in these novels. So it makes sense. It's there. In the DNA, it's it's there. I understand that. Um, but there's the part of me that, that wanted it to fulfill the the fantasies of, of myself when I was a child first reading the, the Dark Tower. And I admire a lot of the decisions that he made, but ultimately there, there will always be that disappointment there. And like I said, we're, we're going to talk about that a lot more in detail once we get to the Dark Tower itself. But, uh, but with this re-release, he starts to, to lay the groundwork there. Um, and like I said, at the time when I first started reading the re-release, it definitely worried me. Um, so one of the changes that were made, I'm going to move on from 19, um, Sylvia Pitson and the Crimson King, uh, in the 2000 re-release, he reworks the scene with Sylvia Pitson to include a mention of the Crimson King in order to make the series as a whole more consistent, but I think the first time Roland hears of the Crimson King will be in Wizard and Glass, so the attempt to make the original text more consistent with the rest of the series only created another inconsistency, because... Why doesn't he remember hearing of the Crimson King when Wizard and Glass rolls around? But that's neither here nor there. Um, but it was just something that I wanted to make note of. Uh, what's more important is how Hell is referenced repeatedly through the novel. And we know that by the end of the series, Roland is continually forced to relive his life over and over and over again. And his last moments in the Dark Tower sync up with the beginning moments of the Gunslinger. Now, he isn't replaying the same life. There are subtle changes that are made based on his improvements in the previous life, slowly gaining redemption through an endless cycle of lives, each one a little bit closer to salvation than the last. At least, that's the hopeful interpretation. The less hopeful interpretation is that the hope of redemption will always be offered, but he will never be able to reach it. That Roland will never be able to break the cycle, 
will never be able to save himself and will play out his sad and lonely, blood-stained life for an eternity. In essence, he will always damn himself to the hell that is referenced in this book and supported with his belief that this world is the afterlife and the descriptions of feeling like he's been on this journey for centuries and millennia, because he has. With the tarot card reading, the tower card is placed directly over Roland's own. The tower will consume Roland. For Roland, that's all there will ever be. Keep in mind that with the re-release in 2003, King subtitled The Gunslinger Resumption. This is because the beginning of the novel is actually the resumption of an endless cycle of previous journeys. Now, I'm not saying that Roland will damn himself, that he'll never be able to break it. I think I interpret that there's hope, but I, I think that the interpretation, I mean, you can interpret it however you want. Um, but I think that an interesting thing happens when Roland meets Jake. At this point, keep in mind, he is severely dehydrated. And he realizes that the figure that he's looking at is not the man in black, but instead a boy. King writes, A huge lancet of pain slipped dreamily into his temple, dividing his brain like an orange. Now, as someone that has finished the, the entire series, I immediately thought of this pain, and I, I wondered, what is the cause of this pain? Is it simply dehydration? Perhaps. But what if it's more? What if, at that second, the memories of the previous lifetime shot from the back of his mind in a desperate attempt to warn him of this boy, in the hope that the message would be received and that present Roland would know better than to sacrifice the boy beneath the mountains? In the next life that begins with the last sentence of the Dark Tower, does this lance of pain cause Roland to wake up? Does his redemption begin in earnest in the next novel? Roland takes a quick liking to Jake, no doubt because he doesn't realize that he spent lifetimes getting to know the boy. He should be mistrustful, but on page 84, it's clear that he's anything but. Jake laid over, looking small and peaceful and harmless. The gunslinger did not believe he was harmless. There was a deadly feeling about him and the stink of predestination. He didn't like the feeling, but he liked the boy. He liked him a great deal. And of course he does. He's mentored him for countless life cycles. He has been his, his surrogate father figure forever. This is not the first time you know, they, they've, they've gone around this rodeo. In the re-release, we know that Jake wasn't the only visitor in the way station. So when Jake turns around on page 92 and waves goodbye to the buildings, he isn't just saying goodbye to the standing structures. He's unknowingly saying goodbye to Father Callahan. And I can't wait to get to, uh, to Wolves with Akala to, to reunite with Father Callahan. And that's, but that's not going to happen for quite some time. And Jake's immediate trust of Roland supports the fact that this scene, like I said, has played out countless times. On one level, Jake must know that he has just been introduced to a surrogate father. But he also must subconsciously understand that it will mean certain death, as he doesn't fully trust him. I wonder what Jake's reaction was the very, very first time, and however many life cycles ago that was. I mean, how much more freaked out was he? How far did he make it before he died or before Roland killed him? Did he even make it past the way station? You know, the, these are really interesting questions once you, you know, start to really look at the series as a whole. You know, just like Jake's death, which... Well, Jake's death the, the first time around. Um, which, the, the fact that he dies in the Dark Tower, that one still gets me. 
that that one I you know I, I hate to say something as as asinine as I haven't forgiven Stephen King for that yet but man that's a hard one to accept um so Jake's first test in so I I don't like the fact that Jake dies to save Stephen King um there's something horrible about that and and Stephen King acknowledges it much you know as as much but um with that said if I'm able to just remove my feelings of it, there is, uh, it feels right. You know, I mean, it's death by car for Jake. Um, it was meant to be, you know, that his death, uh, in New York city in the 1970s, the first time around, that was just, um, echoes of something that hasn't happened yet. Something momentous in time and space. Uh, and that's just imprinting itself, um, in the past. Um, that it was like a prototype for the the eventual death that would matter the most. So I get it. I get it. And I think that that's incredibly effective. And so that's why I was saying that earlier, you know, I, there's, there's two sides of me as I, twinners, I guess, when I read The Dark Tower, there's the, the fanboy side that will be disappointed, that, that will be disappointed. And then there is the, the, the critical side, which really admires the things that Stephen King was able to do. And so on a, on a fan side, I'm, I'm disappointed that this is how Jake went out, that he went out at all. Um, but the critical side, I think that there's a, a beauty and the symmetry um, and the fittingness of that. Now, look, I want to spend some time here uh, talking about Flag, talking about Walter, talking about Martin and the contradictory nature of these characters. When first published, King created two distinct characters. He created Martin Broadcloak, and he created the Man in Black. The Man in Black is revealed to be Martin Broadcloak's master, and the Man in Black has a master himself known as the Angel Stranger, a.k.a. Merlin. So in essence, we now have three characters, according to the original re-release. I'm sorry, according to the original release. King will later write a fantasy novel called Eyes of the Dragon, which takes place in a barony within Midworld, and includes a wizard named Flag. Sorry, a barony within Inworld, and includes a wizard named Flag. In the drawing of the three, Roland remembers a time when this character, Flag, passed through Gilead with two characters from Eyes of the Dragon hot on his heels. In later novels, despite the fact that all the characters listed above are separate from one another, King establishes that the Man in Black, the Stands and Eyes of the Dragon's Flag, and Martin Broadcloak are all the same person. In the foreword to Wolves of the Kala, King states that John Farson, the revolutionary, is also the same person. And the debate rages among fan sites on the internet. It would make sense for Farson to be an aspect of this character as he shares a lot in common with the incarnation of Randall Flagg from The Stand. Now trying to make sense of the relationship between these characters is difficult to say the least. This time around, I paid close attention to the arrival of the man in black when he came to Tull. When I first read The Gunslinger, I hadn't yet read The Stand, so I couldn't conjure Randall Flagg even if I wanted to. I always pictured the man in black in heavy cloaks, and knowing what I know now, I actively pictured my image of Randall Flagg in place of my previous image of the man in black. And to a large extent, it works. He commands a presence. He's prone to belly laughing, which unnerves everyone around him. However, when Roland eventually confronts the man in black, he's more condescending than charismatic a trait more closely resembling the portrayal of the wizard flag in Eyes of the Dragon than the wizard has with the character from The Stand. In fact, if King had named Flag Walter in Eyes of the Dragon, it would have made more sense to me. 
Now, just reading that is confusing. So I apologize if I just kind of short-circuited anyone's, you know, circuitry. Now, in the Golgotha, the man in black refers to Martin as a lesser being, stating that he never could have sent the vision to Martin. And he and King later reworks that to say that he never could have sent the vision to his father, Stephen. And then, but, but still, things don't add up to me. But going back to the original release, he, he states that he manipulated events through Martin and that he is the furthest minion of the tower. He then reveals himself to be a man named Walter, who Roland had once met as a member of Martin's entourage, and in the 2000 re-release, someone that came in in the guise of a monk after Martin had left. So all of this does not jive with me. You know, if this character is supposed to be Flag, um, it just doesn't work, because Flag, to me, never appears to be a minion of the tower. Flag just always seemed to serve Flag. Now, the man in black refers to a master whom he serves, named the Angelus Stranger, a being known as Merlin. In the 2003 re-release, he calls him Legion. Now, is this revealed to be Randall Flagg? I don't know. The description given to Roland at this time just doesn't add up. If Flagg is revealed to be Merlin, uh, it doesn't make sense because Walter and Martin and the Man in Black uh, are all separate characters at the time of the original. Um, and then if it's Legion, what the hell is Legion? Is I, I don't know. I, I'm just I'm starting to get confused. I've taken notes. I've thought about this for literally over a decade, um, and I'm still coming up blank. The, the fact is, I just don't accept that they're all the same character based on what the text has provided. The reference to Merlin and his ability to darkle and tinct seems more apt of a description for Flag, yet the description of Merlin implies a sense of all-knowingness which Flag does not possess. Now, in the 2003 revised edition, King made some changes regarding all of this. From Wikipedia, a major textual change is the fate and identity of the man in black. In the original text, Walter's death at the end of the story is of a no uncertainty to Roland. In the revised edition, Roland speculates if his discovery of Walter's bones is some trick, or if he has truly died. The original text also kept Walter and Martin Broadcloak completely disambiguated. Even after the death of Walter, Broadcloak was still to be found and killed. Later, in Wizard and Glass, they, along with Flag, are all revealed to be one and the same person. Though no reference of the name Flag is made in the revised edition of The Gunslinger, all references to Walter and Martin are altered so that this is plausible they are the same man. And I will add that the the Walter includes a smiley face symbol on the note that he gives to Nort to give to Allie, which is, that's that's Randall Flagg's calling card. So, ultimately, we, we just have to accept that all the characters are the same, but to me, that's a cop-out. I, I guess I can accept it, but it just muddies each character's motivation. Why? It just seems like a lot of work for one being to pretend to be so many others, performing as different characters all around Roland. In the Wastelands, Randall Flagg shows up looking like he just stepped out of the stand and forces the TikTok man to utter the famous line, My life for you. He then announces that Roland must not reach the tower. So if this is the case, and he's the same person as Walter O'Dim, then why didn't he just kill Roland at the Golgotha? And then again in Emerald City. 
Ah, I don't know. If this being is also John Farson, then how is Walter meeting with Farson? My recollection of what we see of, Var of Farson is vague. For all I know, Farson is never truly revealed. He could just be a made-up individual and Walter could speak on, on his behalf. And if that's the case, that's cool. I like that. But, um, I don't know. B basically, when King establishes that all three characters are the same, this is what's known as a retcon in which a character, oh, sorry, which a creator reinvents a concept um, despite contrary evidence previously established within its own continuity. So what King did here is he retconned um, what he had written so far of of the of these characters and he just lumped them all together. And to me, it, it just doesn't work. Um, you know, and ultimately, who is Legion? Now in the 2003 edition, so if, if, if Randall Flagg is Martin, is Walter O'Dim. If they were all the same character that uh, that um, that that once upon a time was known as a human named Walter Paddock, if this is that character and he serves a being known as Legion, what is Legion? Because I don't think it's the Crimson King, right? What is Legion? Does anybody out there know? And what I mean by that is, what did Stephen King put in place? I understand if Robin Firth and Peter David fleshed that out, but I want to know what Stephen King thought of or didn't think of or what you think he hinted at and didn't get time to write. Um, The demon oracle, the succubus within the standing stones. Um, yeah, I really wish that this was the only time we saw this character. Um, we don't... We see this, well, we don't see the character again, but this, uh, this to me, what winds up happening, so here's what winds up happening. When, when Roland has sexual relations with the succubus inside the, uh, the standing stones, his sperm is then used by the evil organization working for the Crimson King to then be used by another demon while impregnating Susanna. I'm all about conspiracies and, you know, evil machinations by the villain. This one seems a bit much. Um, I, I really wish that that didn't happen. And I'm going to get to my issues with um, Susanna's pregnancy in the last three books um, because I think that some serious balls were dropped. Um, and that was not a joke. That that was not a pun. I, I'm sorry. Um, that that was not a pun. Okay. Now, I've talked about Walter. I've talked about Flag and Martin and and, and all of that. Uh, but I want to talk about the Crimson King here. Okay. The Man in Black refers to the Keeper of the Tower, referred to as the Beast again in the original edition, who I assume will later be revealed to be the Crimson King. Now, the beast is said to be greater than Merlin and is the originator of all things magic. Now, just as there are major continuity discrepancies between Flag and Martin and Walter, there is just as much a heavy continuity inconsistency with the Crimson King. The Crimson King is first introduced in Insomnia, and so powerful is he that he commands the will of one of the three fates from Greek mythology, Atropos. Consider that level of power. He controls fate. This representation of the Crimson King is in line with what King establishes here. Not only does he command the fate, he can also astral project. And he has to because it's implied that he is locked within the tower. 
there is a description of the character in Insomnia, one that is contradictory to the character we meet finally in the final novel of this series, who is just a senile old man looking like Santa Claus, who screams and throws golden sneetches from Harry Potter, which explode like grenades. That representation does not fit the description of the being who originated magic. Furthermore, the beast that Walter describes is not in the tower, so if the Crimson King is this beast and the Crimson King is in the tower, then this is another error. So that's all I have um, right now for, for that particular segment. But what I want to do, I'm going to start to conclude. And I'm going to conclude by reading what I believe the, the most important quote is from the text. And typically this is something I would have done last week, but because I, in my discussion of it, I feel as though it would have been a little bit too spoilerific. So I, I pushed it off until this week. And that is found on page 184. It's towards the end of the novel. And Jake finally confronts Roland. You made a deal, the boy screamed after him. I know you did. The gunslinger, not replying, carefully put the bow in front of the T-post rising out of the hand car's floor, out of harm's way. The boy's fists were clenched, his features drawn in agony. How easily... You bluff this young boy, the gunslinger told himself dryly. Again and again his intuition has led him to this point, and again and again you have led him on by the nose. After all, he has no friends but you. In a sudden, simple thought, almost a vision, it came to him that all he had to do was give it over, turn around, take the boy with him, make him the center of a new force. The tower did not have to be obtained in this humiliating nose-rubbing way. Let it come after the boy had a growth of years, when the two of them could cast the man in black aside like a cheap wind-up toy. Surely, he thought cynically, surely. He knew with sudden coldness that going backward would mean death for both of them, death or worse, entombment within the living dead behind them, decay of all the faculties, with perhaps the guns of his father living long after both of them, kept in rotten splendor as totems not unlike the forgotten gas pump. Show some guts, he told himself, falsely. So that scene, specifically, the almost vision that he has, when you put that in context of the rest of the Dark Tower, it's powerful because you could think to yourself it probably is a vision it's probably all of the memories that Roland has had all the times he's played out that specific scene again and again and again on his time in all of his cycles all of his re revolutions through the wheel of Ka screaming at him to do it differently this time. Don't let the boy die because he's right. And he knows that he's right on some level that if he does just stay with the boy, he will build a new object, 
a new force for good, and he will reject the selfishness of his quest. And by giving himself over to, to others, he will redeem himself, and through that redemption, he will be able to continue. And whether he makes it to the tower or not, his katet will, and his katet will live on in order for them to be able to save the tower, save the universe. So that, to me, I think that that boils down the essence of the Dark Tower, not just the, the Gunslinger. And that's all I have for this week. Um, we're, we're almost at 40 minutes for, for this particular episode and then everything that I said from, from last week. I could go on and on and on, but I just I want to put a pin in it now because I don't want to get too far ahead of myself in terms of talking about the Dark Tower as a whole. I still want to save myself for the, the remaining six novels and all of the uh, additional supplemental material, including Insomnia and Black House, Little Sisters of Aloria, and you know, you, you all know what's coming. So uh, so that that's all that I have right now for this week. Um, but please, please, uh, I, I want to hear your thoughts on the discrepancies um, between um, what was established here and what plays out later on down the road, you know, what you prefer, the original edition or the, the 2004 re-release. Give me your thoughts on the number 19. Just lay it all on the line. Let me know what, what you think. And um, I'll, I'll read your emails on, on the air and I'll, I'll throw in my two cents as well. But any, any thought that you have, all things related to Stephen King of the Dark Tower, Roland, Jake, the Man in Black, Walter, Odim, uh, Randall Flagg, the Crimson King, the representation of the Crimson King uh, as presented and hinted at at these earlier novels as he's presented at the, the end of the series. Please, please let me know. I'd like your thoughts. So that's all that I have for this week. Uh, write in at StephenKingCast at Yahoo.com. Like me on uh uh, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. Go out and, and write a review on iTunes if you have time for, for any of these things. If not, just sit back and enjoy the podcasts that have come before. And I look forward to, to talking with you next week. Same King time, same King channel. Long days and pleasant nights. Pleasant nights.